0: Welcome to this presentation of North Star Anesthesia. All right, well, thank you for joining us here at Northstar Anesthesia. We have the opportunity to, one, introduce our new Chief Anesthetist Officer, Randy Moore. Um, Randy, it's such a pleasure. We are so glad and thrilled to have you join our team. Welcome to the team.
1: Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to be talking with you today, and I'm really excited about joining the team yeah
0: that's great well we i just wanted to take a couple minutes and chat with you and um you know we did some other podcasts and those will be coming out as well where we we answered some questions that teammates from across the country were able to submit and that was a lot of fun but i thought we'd just take a a couple minutes um to get to know you you know kind of on a more personal i know no no no, not too deep (laughs) no you know I, i think it's really important coming in as a leader for people to understand who you are and kind of what your background is. Um, and I know you're gonna have the opportunity to meet a lot of our teammates you know, in the future, but I thought just to kind of do a little bit of a teaser here. Uh, so one of the first questions that I uh, have for you is, um, you, your current role right now, you're the CEO of the AANA, the Chief Executive Officer for the mm-hmm. um, American Association of Nurse Anesthetists. Can you tell us a little bit more about that role, how long you've been in that role, uh, and what you've currently been doing over the last
1: several years? Oh, sure, yeah. So uh, it's, it's a great organization, and it's been an immense privilege and honor to be serving in that role. So prior to that, I actually was on the board for three years. Right. And if you would have told me. I don't know, six years ago or five years ago, that I'd be (laughs) CEO of the ANA, I probably would have told you that you're crazy because I actually thought I wanted to be a hospital CEO, but that didn't, obviously, you know, life is interesting. You make make plans and then life happens. And so life happened. And I, my predecessor announced her intent to retire from the role. And I moved in to the role in September of 2017. So uh, during that time, which is almost four years, I've really been focused on, ch- on, on improving marketing, public relations, operational uh, effectiveness, culture, all of those things that I think uh, are really important for a high-performing organization. And I immensely enjoyed the experience. I've learned, I've grown, I'm a better leader, I'm a better person because of it. But now I'm interested, really, in getting back into leading clinicians and clinical leaders, and and more directly impacting patient care. And the stars once again aligned, and here we are talking, you know, and I'm able to join a, a really dynamic company that is doing some really great stuff, and uh, so excited about that opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to let's save that for just a little bit because yeah. I, I I do want to talk about kind of your vision for leader leading the CRNAs within our organization but um let's take a step back uh Uh, so tell us about randy the man like you are in this crazy leadership position Uh you know not typical for crnas to to drive up into the ranks of uh, in this kind of area and so um how did your interest in leadership kind of form like what were some you know formative moments for you along the way that you know Drove
1: you kind of into this lane. Yeah, I think if you would have talked to my parents and my teachers <laughs> usually <where> it <laughs> in high school, they would have marked me the individual least likely to oh. lead anything or anyone. <laughs> uh, and I actually didn't really have a lot of interest or exposure to leadership in my kind of developmental phase of my life. And then I, uh, because I was kind of listless as a teenager and I got myself in trouble and I graduated with a 1.77 GPA from high school, (laughs) I figured I needed to go do some interesting things and to get my act together and enter in the United States Army. And uh, at 17, yes, you can enlist when you're 17 if your parents sign on the dotted line and they were happy to sign on the dotted line (laughs) to get rid of me. I went to Army Infantry Basic Training at Fort Benning, Georgia, and for the first time in my life, I really saw exceptional leadership, and I saw the impact of how an 18-year-old can really be an effective leader, in which a lot of people don't... I don't, I I guess when you, you, that's not something that you think would be intuitive. Like, you know, 18 year old boys are very immature, but people tend to rise to the occasion. And I was able to observe some amazing leadership and to model that leadership and it sparked a fire in me. And and I knew that I wanted, I was interested in in, in being a clinician, I didn't know what kind. And I was interested in being a leader, I didn't know what kind. And these parallel paths, intersected themselves when I shortly after I graduated from anesthesia school and I had the opportunity to begin getting some leadership opportunities and I really was bit by the bug and and one of the things you know leadership is such an evolutionary thing you know you're not I really don't believe that you're born a great leader you have to develop that some of it's osmosis some of it's really being intentional about getting experiences and education and I think the thing that really helped me was that, for whatever reason, I had this fascination with leaders and leadership, and I could see the impact of an exceptional leader on a team uh, and on an organization. And I was, really wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to learn that skill set. And as we both know, that's not something that we are learned and that we are taught in right. nursing school rarely if ever or anesthesia school even though it's getting better nursing anesthesia school even though I think they're doing a little bit more so I had to go out and develop the skill set independent of my clinical expertise and then I've tried to find a way to intersect those things and hospital leadership I did that for a while and then ana leadership I did that in parallel and then ultimately took a position as CEO and then I see this role that I'll be um, stepping into in early September as an extenuation of that just my focus on Supporting people and teams to accomplish uncommon results is something I'm completely fascinated by.
0: Oh, I love! I can't wait to to work with you more Uh, on on that kind of
1: stuff. Yeah, feelings Uh, mutual. Yeah, Yeah.
0: no. So one of the questions that I had was, um, you got your MBA as well, right? So there are a lot of CRNAs and physician anesthesiology leaders who, you know, kind of are interested in expansion beyond kind of the clinical realm. How did you think that impacted? Your career, your your professional career.
1: I, it was a really good decision. Now, I'll I'll do I'll throw a caveat out because I've talked to several, many people who are. Do I get an MBA? Do I get an MHA? Do I go get a doctorate? Yeah. And I don't think you need an MBA necessarily to be a high impact, effectual, effective leader. It helps. It's a skill set that really needs to be developed. And leadership has very little to do actually with accounting. <laughs> and marketing uh, and 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 so I think it depends on what you want to do in your in your professional career. What are your professional personal aspirations? An MBA can certainly open doors. An MBA can certainly provide that that credibility. Uh, that to say, hey, I have a business education, so don't talk to me like I don't. You know, and and when you have clinicians in the hospital leadership or healthcare leadership, having an MBA brings some gravitas certainly, and I think. It's really important to understand, like, what do you want to do professionally and what, is, what are the credentials, what are the experiences that you need? And in my experience has been the MBA was really helpful for me to attack problem solving in, in a bit of a different way and uh, yes the accounting stuff was interesting yes the uh, okay the accounting stuff actually wasn't oh, interesting I was just gonna say, <laughs> <okay>. the finance <laughs> stuff was sort of interesting the marketing stuff all of that i yeah. now i have that baseline yes, that i can exactly. have those conversations i right. can talk about talk to talk Yeah, but leadership really in my experience is you develop your leadership skills in the trenches doing yes. the work and and all the leadership theory you can read all the leadership theory you want <laughs> until you put until it in practice in and <laughs> fail. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And make, make mistakes and learn and grow. Uh, it, it's just theory.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the questions that I had was um, around leadership. I mean, that is something you can tell you're just very passionate about. And, yeah. and I love that. Um, when I talk to people about becoming leaders, especially nurse anesthetists, um, some of our physician colleagues as well, it's, you know, they think of a leader as their chief, mm. you know, or the medical director. Yeah, I think it comes in a lot of different forms. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, I I, I want to develop leaders, too, within our organization. And I, I don't want people to think, well, that's the only track there
1: is. Yeah. And there's some, you can be, there, there's, there are ways, and we've all seen it, individuals who are highly influential but don't have a formal leadership title, right? The people look to them because... They, they have integrity, they have courage, they're humble, they make good decisions, they're influential, they change the culture. Now, having, a t- having those skills, those characteristics, and having a formal position within a unit or an organization is, is really impactful. I think, you know, for leadership, far too often I see people who are attracted to leadership but can't tell me why. And, and, and sometimes that's around, well, they like the title. Yeah. Or or they like the quote-unquote prestige associated with that. Uh, Or sometimes the money. Even though when I was coming up as a CRNA leader, every promotion I got resulted in me making less Less money. (laughs) Less (laughs) money.
0: Usually the way it goes. (laughs) Uh,
1: To me, that's not leadership. Leadership is really, it's focusing on the the people that you're responsible for and the teams that you're there to to serve. Mm -hmm. And it requires, you know, there's, Probably a hundred leadership traits. To me, for me personally, and, and yours would probably be different to some degree. Mm-hmm. I think there's, you know, for me it boils down to being humble because uh, I've never met a great leader that was arrogant ever, ever. Yeah. Doesn't matter how not smart a great you're. leader. No. <laughs> Doesn't matter how smart you are if you're a jerk. Yeah. You, you are limited, right? And uh, being curious—that's one of the things that uh, I see consistently in great leaders. They are really curious about. People, they're curious about themselves. They're curious about how to grow and get better at whatever they're trying to do. Uh, the other thing that I see consistently in great leaders is a focus on growth. And
0: well, what do, you, what do you mean by that exactly?
1: Yeah, what it is, it's not just like growth in like every five years or every three years I get more title, more prestige. It's like how do I become more effective? How do I, you know, there's so much we don't know in life. There's so much we don't know about leadership. Even clinicians, there's so much that we don't know, right? And (laughs) if you're focusing on always trying to learn and grow, to play outside of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. because that's where real growth occurs, special, big things happen, special things happen. And the people that I see who are consistently achieving high impact are really comfortable being uncomfortable. And because that's where growth occurs. And, And the final Characteristic that I see is courage, and it's not like running into into a hail of bullets. (laughs) Courage—it's physical courage. It's moral courage, right? Being prepared to pay the consequences for doing the right thing, and prepared to look embarrassed, prepared to fail, yeah, to be embarrassed by a mistake that you make. Far too often, human beings—they want to avoid discomfort, and the irony is that's where the good stuff happens. And if you want to see a great leader watch them in crisis, yes. watch them when they are in, in the position of having to make a difficult decision, a decision which they may pay a price for. Yeah. And to me, so I see those are those four kind of really important elements of, that I aspire to be really good at, and not, and sometimes I, I don't always <laughs> meet that, but I, I'm, I, I work really hard, and the people that I see who are really impactful have that kind of orientation.
0: That's so great. I think it's wonderful for our teammates to hear that I mean that it's because it it is growth it, it, it's hard work you yep. know I mean, there's a lot of thought that goes into you know um as you as you grow so I, I think those are, are all very fair points um you know as you take on this new leadership role and get into that how do you how do you foresee um bringing up and fostering kind of the leadership culture uh, especially within our CRNA specifically, because, that, I mean, you're, you're the chief anesthetist. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- where do you see that going? Because, I mean, again, like you can go at this from many different angles, and there are a lot of different opportunities. But what do you kind of want to focus on? How, how, do we, how do we do it?
1: The good news is that there's a foundation here. That yes. North Star philosophically right. has been focused on developing and investing in leadership. So it's not as if we're starting it. Runs, yeah. you know, at, 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 the, at the starting line. People who proceed, people who are here now have focused on it and made investments, and that's awesome.
0: Yeah, we did a lot of like leadership training right, and right. development and, and conferences and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and that attracts, uh, that retains and attracts the best kind of talent, yeah. in, in my opinion, particularly people who are interested in growth. I think you know, philosophically kind of zooming out for a second, and I'll tell you what doesn't work, and then I'll tell you what I think <laughs> is more likely to work. What doesn't work is sending someone to a weekend workshop where they are, they are exposed to all this great information and then telling them, okay, good luck. And then they go out. And what happens is, like, you know, we've been to conferences. You're like, oh, 90% of what you've heard is gone in yeah. a week. And what really makes behaviors stick is providing, yes, the didactic kind of knowledge and then ensuring that that knowledge is applied immediately and consistently. Like, so one of the things that I think great leaders do well is providing feedback, Consistently providing feedback—that's not an intuitive skill, and actually, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> so, if we took that example and say, "Yes, let's talk. Let's let's do a course on how to provide feedback, how to receive feedback." Now, my expectation would be, as a leader, that you're going to do that consistently, and we're going, and I'm going to have conversations with you consistently about what's working, what's not working, and how you're approving with that skill. I think that's kind of the secret sauce of of changing behavior of developing competency, that it's more than just throwing money at a weekend workshop. It's like, okay, it also requires focus. We can't focus on 10 different things. We really should be focusing on two or three things and doing it consistently, getting really good at those and then pivoting and, and, and doing some other things. And I think from my perspective, I've tried the, like like in all information, but it just goes, in, it's, gone. it's gone, right? Yeah. So I have to with intentionality incorporate this new knowledge and, and into my daily activities, not do it well, mm-hmm. get better, and then develop competency. And that's what I would say that most adult learning, effective adult learning kind of takes that path.
0: That's great, and I think, I mean, I, we do need to look at the approach of, like you said, adult learning and, and how we actually get these things across to our, our uh, clinicians. Um, okay, last two questions, no. rapid fire. Um, what is something that you've failed at and learned from?
1: I've, oh, geez, I think, how much time do we have? <laughs> I know. No, no, just one oh, thing, yeah. rapid
0: fire, you know, one of those, like a big lesson that you've taken away
1: from a failure that you've had. I think, one, I think I might have mentioned this there. One of the most challenging human drivers, what really drives, if we think about this, what really drives a lot of human behavior is the avoidance of discomfort. Think about it, it's like, what do you do when you're bored? You, you look at your phone, <laughs> you scroll. <laughs> that thing that you want to do, item number 25 on your to do list, you do yeah. the other ones because those are easier, yeah. because that other thing is not fun. Having that t- tough conversation yeah. uh, or putting yourself out there trying to learn something new. What I have learned is anytime do I avoid, Discomfort, I'm, I'm probably regressing, Mm. or I'm not being a great leader. And to answer your question more directly, as someone who's an introvert, I'm an introvert. I I have a tendency for conflict aversion, so I'll try to avoid conflict. Healthy conflict. Yeah. Sometimes I'm really good at unhealthy conflict. I I was just going to say
0: sometimes that does come uh, a little easier, doesn't it? (laughs) Just ask your wife. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Jeez. And so,
1: what I have learned is. I have avoided having conversations that need to occur yeah. or avoided making decisions that need to be made. And the payoff is in the, shir- in the short-term, you, you avoid some short-term discomfort, but in the long-term, you're failing yourself and you're failing the organization. So have those conversations, make those decisions because the long-term benefit from that far outweighs, far outweighs the short-term discomfort. That is a wonderful lesson, for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay, last question. Uh-huh. Um, greatest success as a leader that you've experienced in the, in the last you know, four years is your leadership in
1: the AANA? Developing other leaders. So if you look at my executive team at the AANA, you'll see individuals there who have been provided opportunities that maybe would not have been provided to them if you looked purely at their resumes. And identifying really uh, people who have the right personality, who have the right values, who have the right attributes, and not getting too concerned whether or not they have a graduate degree or whether or not they have all of the boxes checked has been, and to watch them flourish in these roles and impact, and then they will undoubtedly be successful in other roles and other companies, that's my greatest achievement, I think, is that building other people who can achieve uncommon results. It's, I'm not good at anything. other than uh, except for that (laughs) (laughs) i have an eye for talent and and i have um a real interest in creating other leaders and i think that's always going to be the thing that i'm most proud of
0: bringing up everyone from the team yeah and you know we're not just talking about crnas physician our physician colleagues like everyone
1: it's we're all better as one team yeah, and I th- one of the things that I think is, and this is kind of sounded hacky, but I'll say it, is that most <laughs> people don't that. realize their potential, don't really f- understand what they can accomplish, because I think sometimes they live in a fear-based mentality. Like, what if I look foolish? What if I make a mistake? What if I get, I do this thing and I get fired? What if this? And the truth of the matter is, it's never cast- catastrophic. It's always survivable. There's always something you can learn from that. And there's always growth that results from that. And I say, you know, what I would, again, kind of keep riffing on this idea of living outside your comfort zone, whether it's learning new clinical skills, whether it's learning, I don't know, a music, you know a, an instrument or another language. I can't do any of that, by the way. <laughs> uh, or putting yourself out there for a leadership position or, or taking on some additional responsibilities. It's uncomfortable at first, but in the long run, it really unlocks a lot of opportunity and a lot of growth. Great. Yeah. Right. Randy, we are so excited to have you as oh, part of you. our team here at North Star.
0: Too. And, um, you know, hopefully we're going to have many more opportunities to have more conversations like this with other clinicians are in within uh, North Star and our world. And um, we wish you the best of luck as you close out your uh, season as CEO of AA&A and can't wait to have you here on the ground. Thank you
1: so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this North Star Learning Podcast.